Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Oh, wow. A very exciting show that really has global implications. Would you like to see your tax dollars used for catstipation experiments? Would you like to see your hard-earned tax dollars spent on getting lizards to run on treadmills? Yeah, lizards running on treadmills till they collapse. What is all this sadism about? Um, we are live with the one and only Justin Goodman of White Coat Waste, an organization that is on the front lines in the nation's capital fighting these idiotic experiments on animals that would be laughable if they weren't so torturous and cruel. I'm not kidding when I say they are spending millions of our tax dollars on catstipation experiments, on getting lizards to run on treadmills till they collapse, on getting rats drunk. It's all nonsense. It's all basically a bunch of pseudoscientists making a ton of money, living in their McMansions and doing these experiments, not once, but over and over again for decades. We are so thrilled to have Justin Goodman, who is vice president of the White Coat Waste Project. They are on the front lines in the nation's capital trying to stop this nonsense uh, to save us money and to save animals from torture. So, Justin, bring us the, the headlines. What are you working on? Thanks, Jane, and thanks for your support over the years, and Happy New Year. This is, uh, you know, it's, I think it's off to a rough start in general for a lot of people, given what's happening here in D.C., but I think there's a lot of reasons for optimism with regard to all the problems you just mentioned. Um, a lot of people don't realize, and you and I have talked about this before, that the federal government is the single largest funder of animal testing in the entire world. Uh, the U.S. government spends about $20 billion. It's probably actually more than that right now because the NIH budget just got a raise. So over $20 billion on animal testing each year. The federal government is funding about two-thirds of all animal testing in the United States. And those projects run the gamut from the things you were just talking about. We just worked with uh, Senator Ra- Republican Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky uh, on his year-end waste report, and we're able to work with him to get several examples of these, I think you described it perfectly, idiotic animal experiments uh, that taxpayers are being forced to to fund. And, you know, his report focuses on the more ridiculous and silly sounding projects like you mentioned. So uh, the NIH spending $36 million of taxpayers' money to stress out uh, mice uh, to turn their hair gray and to study why hair turns gray, a million and a half dollars to force lizards to walk on treadmills, uh, and four and a half million dollars to study stress by getting rats drunk and then spraying them with bobcat pee, which obviously they're afraid of cats, and the urine makes them incredibly afraid that there's a cat around the corner who's going to kill them. Uh, So these are just some of the high-profile examples that Rand Paul featured in his report Uh, And it's really just the tip of the iceberg. Last year, we worked with him and exposed some experiments where government 
was spending money to blow leaves with uh, lizards with leaf blowers uh, and study the sexual habits of quails who were high on cocaine. Uh, so really the mind reels at the extent to which the government will go to fund this stupidity uh, and cruelty. Uh, and again, the Rand Paul report really does focus on some of the highlights of the, the more moronic projects, but it gets much darker than that. Uh, you, know, you mentioned the cat's to patient campaign you know, earlier this year, we exposed that the Department of Veterans Affairs is the last federal agency still performing painful experiments on cats in its in-house laboratories. A couple of years ago, we shut down uh, the kitten slaughterhouse at the USDA. You helped us to expose where the USDA experimenters were flying to China, uh, South America, other places, rounding up cats and dogs at wet markets and slaughterhouses, and then flying those animal parts back to the U.S. to force feed them to cats and cannibalism experiments. We shut that down. That was the biggest cat lab in the entire government. Uh, the only one left, the only ones left are now at the VA. And one of those projects, like you mentioned, in Cleveland uh, involves uh, inducing constipation and incontinence in cats by giving them invasive surgeries. And then in some cases, shoving fake poop made of potato and bran flour uh, up their rears. Uh, it's really sick stuff. It's stupid. Uh, the experiments at the VA have cost taxpayers $10 million for these experiments on cats. Constipation in, in Cleveland and out where you are in Los Angeles, they're doing sleep experiments on cats where they implant uh, electrodes in kittens' brains and then study their brain, brain activity while they're sleeping. And in some cases, they even cut off their oxygen to asphyxiate them to see how their brain responds while they're sleeping. Um, I personally feel there should be a test, a psychological test for every one of these so-called scientists to determine whether they're sociopaths uh, or, uh, you know, we know that serial killers start by torturing animals when they're children and then they graduate to torturing humans. And it's the sadism. They get a pleasure out of creating pain in another being. And this is exactly what's happening with these experiments. In fact, the founder of your organization, I believe, Anthony Bellotti, spent a very short period of time in a lab when he was a student. And that's what caused him to have such a crisis of conscience to, to start this organization. I mean, honestly, I think these people are sick. They, they are. are. They are sick and we need to stop them. But... The idea that people just keep throwing money at them and allowing them to do the same experiments, not once, but for decades. Well, historically, that's absolutely right. And it's, you know, it's money has been thrown at them against the will of the American people who are paying the paying their taxes like that we're supposed to. Uh, and then the government is turning around and spending that money on things we don't want and we don't need, like these wasteful experiments. Luckily, you know, right now there's more. Um, pressure than ever on these federal agencies to be more accountable and transparent about how they're spending this money so people like you and I can tell Congress whether or not this is how we want our tax dollars spent. Uh, in the case of the cats to patient experiments on the VA, um, just exposing this stuff is what really helps rally uh, Congress and taxpayers. So we have 3 million members across the country who are uh, writing letters, signing petitions, making phone calls to Congress, and we see that that has real life implications in terms of bringing this stuff to an end and sending it, like we say, to the litter box where it belongs. In, the ter in terms of the VA's cat experiments, 
in the v, in the spending bill, the big federal spending bill that just got passed, we were able to renew funding restrictions on the VA's dog, cat, and primate testing, which have actually prevented any new tests on dogs, cats, and primates from being approved in the last couple of years. Um, and the at VA, the VA, which is the, yeah. I mean, there's, this is the problem is that there's so many different agencies doing these idiotic, it's like you stamp this one out and then there's another one over here. Let me interrupt for a second because we've Please. got a caller. Sarah, your question or thought? Hey, I'm really glad that you have this topic on. I really think people think, oh, it's just rabbits or it's just mice. Or Okay, my question is, is there or can there be just one bill just one single bill that says no animal testing, just period. Like, why do you have to have so many things in states and federal and stuff? Just make it all across the board for the U.S. of A, zero animal testing on everything. I love that. I love that question, Sarah. Well, would you like to address that, Justin? From your mouth to God's ear, as they say. Yeah, that's, yeah I was going to say that's what my dad would say. Um, listen, I wish I lived in a place where we can get a bill like that introduced, which we technically could, um, and actually get the congressional support we need to get it through Congress and to the president's desk for a signature. Uh, unfortunately, like you know, we're number one, we're a divided country. And number two, even when we have support in some areas, uh, we don't have support across the board always for, for these efforts. So lots of people oppose testing on cats, dogs, and primates, uh, rabbits, uh, maybe some of the other stupid examples that Jane mentioned. Certainly a lot of people oppose that, but not everyone is on the same page yet. And I say yet because the time is going to come when we are. Um, if you look at public opinion polling for the last several decades, and you know, at the point we are now, there is a growing majority of Americans. So a growing majority of Americans, a growing majority of taxpayers, a growing majority of voters do not want their money spent on this stuff. Now, the government funds two thirds of animal experiments, which means the way White Coast work, the White Coast waste is, fo is focused, is getting the government, which is the biggest offender, out of this business. Um, and the way Congress, the, the, the funding process is set up is you really do need to go agency by agency uh, and attack these problems. We could have one kitchen sink bill that includes all of this. Uh, the truth is, is, unfortunately, it probably wouldn't move very far because of all the various interests. I mean, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but one of our investigations earlier this year exposed experiments on monkeys. Uh, I guess I'll just talk about it right now. An, an investigation we did earlier this year, and if you go to our website, whitecoatwaste.org, you can view this video. Uh, we exposed through a lawsuit against the NIH um, the, its Fear Factory Laboratory, which over the last few decades has received $50 million uh, to give monkeys brain damage by burning parts of their brains out with acid or suctioning them out, suctioning them out uh, the part of the brain that controls emotion, and then locking these monkeys in tiny cages by themselves, chaining them up by the neck, and then intentionally scaring them with fake snakes and spiders and laughing about it while they did it. Um, this is disgusting. It's never improved human health. It's a big waste of money. It's a big waste of animal lives. It's horrific. Um, we got legislation as a result of our investigation. We worked with Congress to pass legislation in the House of Representatives, which was run by Democrats at the time and still is. Um, we passed legislation through that House telling the NIH to put together a plan to reduce primate testing over the next five years. Um, what happened was, and this gives you a, the reason I tell this story is this gives you a sense of the dynamics on Capitol Hill that passed that house that passed in that house. Then when the Senate had to write its legislation, 
it actually listened to the animal experimenters and they prepared legislation actually saying, we don't want less more, we don't want less primate testing. We want more primate testing. And we want the NIH to tell Congress how much more money it needs and resources it needs to ramp up testing on monkeys. But we were able to beat that back. We got rid of that bad language and actually were able to get the, the Congress and the president to sign into law legislation that is going to require a review of all of the NIH's in-house primate testing like we had for chimps a few years ago. And Jane and a lot of pe other people who are watching know this. The, the independent review of chimp testing is what got us to completely end chimp experiments in the United States. So that is when you get objective independent people to come from the outside and say, what the hell is the government doing funding this crap? It's cruel. It's unethical. It's a waste of money. Um, we don't need to be doing that. So that's the process that the, all of these monkey experiments are going to undergo now. And we're cautiously, cautiously optimistic that things like the fear factory that we exposed uh, are going to end up on the chopping block. Uh, as a result. But listen, well, like Jane that, said. That is a breakthrough. What you're saying, I want to emphasize, yeah. is a huge breakthrough because, as you say at White Coast Waste Project, sunshine is the best disinfectant. They deliberately hide these experiments. And what does that tell you? They know that if people see them, they realize how absolutely absurd cruel, barbaric, medieval they are. And I, I can't even understand how people who are purportedly there to help the world, that's why people supposedly go into science. Of course, we know that people who went into science to help the world have also developed like nuclear weapons. So often they get uh, off on the wrong uh, track, but you'd think that if they know enough to fight in court, ferociously to keep the videos of these experiments hidden. Because one of the, the best ways to get these experiments stopped is to get a Freedom of Information Act request in and get video of them. And then when you see the horror of how they are tormenting these animals for completely ridiculous reasons, there's an uproar. So they fight, they fight to keep it from ever seeing the light of day. So you're saying now that the National Institutes of Health, which is one of the key animal torturers on the planet, is going to have, to, I wanna make sure I'm very clear on this, is going to have to bring teams of independent scientists in to look at these experiments and determine whether or not they're valid? Yes, not only whether they're necessary, but also to specifically, Congress asked on the legislation we worked on with them, Congress asks specifically to also identify existing and future alternatives that will help reduce and eliminate the use of primate testing. So it's not only evaluating the projects they have now and the future potential need for primates, but also looking at alternatives and how technology we have can be used specifically to reduce primate testing. Now, I want to put something in the context of what you just said, Jane, you're right that what allows these projects to continue is secrecy, is the, the funding is secretive, the details are secretive. Americans don't even have access in most cases to the results of these studies. Um, you can't, you know, you can't easily find it unless you're at a university and you have access to a university library. Well, so wait these, a this second, project, I want to jump yeah. in because when there are results, what I've read is that some of these experiments go on for decades and they actually achieve nothing. There are no results except dead animals. That's right. In the case of the NIH Fear Factory, these psychological experiments on monkeys, uh, there's been no results that have ever helped people. Uh, Congress asked 
the NIH for examples of progress they've made. They couldn't actually provide any. Um, but listen, this is a project that went on for 30 years unchecked, basically, just like the kitten slaughterhouse at the USDA went on for about 30 years unchecked. White Coat comes in, gets files a lawsuit, finally gets the details of these projects that people had no idea. Congress, who's funding it, didn't even know these things existed. We expose it, get it out there in the media, and within a few months, there's legislation either introduced, passed, or enacted into law holding them accountable and either cutting the projects or putting them under the microscope. So that is the power that sunlight, as you say, sunlight is the best disinfectant. That is the power that this work has. So that's why it's so important for people, you know, when, when we're filing these lawsuits for documents, sometimes they seem a little esoteric, but these are such an important tool to show people how their money is being spent and also give us the tools we need to hold the government accountable and, and bring these projects to an end. And, Sometimes when you try to put it out there in the media, the media blocks you. I know that you had a lawsuit to get one of your posters on a bus in Maryland and you won that lawsuit because there is an institutional bias in society at large where, oh, you're questioning the National Institutes of Health. You must be wrong. They must be right. Uh, they're sort of given this free pass often with mainstream media. The truth is the work you're doing at White Coat Waste, Justin and Anthony and your team, is the work that mainstream media should be doing. They should be getting these Freedom of Information Act requests. They should be digging deep and finding out why these experiments are happening and wasting millions of dollars and going on year after year, decade after decade, but they don't do it because there is an institutional bias in the media against anything that protects animals or that um, questions the commoditization of animals in our society. Uh, you know, they killed 17 million mink in Denmark approximately because they developed the mutation of the coronavirus. None of the articles talked about the suffering of even one mink. These are beautiful individual animals. They viciously slaughtered 17 million approximately. And we had a, an animal activist provide us video. He went out there in Denmark and videotaped dumpsters full with disgustingly dead mink. Uh, and not one word. All they talk about is, well, the mink industry is going to be hurt. Or we need to have more biosecurity at mink farms. Yeah. Instead of even questioning, why, is there, why are there even mink farms? So you're not just dealing with the institutional bias in these agencies that seek to self-perpetuate. You're also de dealing with media bias. And that's why the work you're doing is so important. Because if you aren't doing it, there's nobody else who's going to do it. There's no Woodward and Bernstein of um, animal torture in U.S. government. There is. There's Jane Vellas Mitchell. Oh, I report on you. You're the <laughs> Bernstein. Well, listen, I mean, you know, yeah. you know, part of the problem, too, and I, you know, you're hitting the nail on the head here is there's also this media deferral to the expertise, the quote unquote expertise and authority of scientists and scientists. The people who are involved in animal experimentation constantly abuse that authority by putting out press releases saying that there are experiments on mice that they know are a dead end or are gonna cure cancer or some other disease, or they release a statement saying any, you know, any criticism of their research is gonna harm human health, it's gonna kill your grandma, it's gonna kill people all around the world. 
those types of claims about the, you know, the necessity of animal testing are completely unfounded. So you get otherwise smart people, scientists who are well-educated, uh, saying very stupid things that are unscientific, unsupported. Um, but, the, but the media does not want to, especially the mainstream media, doesn't want to question them. Um, yeah. And, it, you, you know, you mentioned the example of the, the bus ads we were trying to run. We exposed the NIH is sending millions of dollars to foreign countries for animal testing, including England, where they're hooking monkeys on, on uh, heroin, uh, addicting, zebrafish, addicting zebrafish to nicotine, other horrible things. We try to run bus ads near the NIH on the buses that service the NIH headquarters, and we were shut down. The bus company said, <clears throat> your cartoon ad with, monkeys smoke, with a monkey smoking a joint uh, might encourage children to use drugs. And the whole point of their experience purportedly is to yeah. fight drug abuse. Yeah. But I want to talk about that on yeah. the other side. Let's take yeah. a short break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We are here with the incredible Justin Goodman, Vice President of the White Coat Waste Project based in the nation's capital. They are a bipartisan organization. In other words, they work with any legislators who want to stop this wasteful spending. And in this terribly divided time, there is one thing that uh, people on all sides of the fence politically can agree on is that they don't want to torture animals. This is one of the rare areas where you can actually find genuine bipartisanship, which um, is a good thing in this very toxic climate. And uh, you were telling me that uh, you get tips from people because you put up posters and, and it's a real David and Goliath battle. And that's why this 
the strategic approach that white coat waste takes is so effective and powerful because everywhere along the line, they try to keep these horrific experiments, ridiculous experiments, like we're saying, you know, cannibalism experiments, catsipation experiments, lizards running on treadmills, um, torturing monkeys for ridiculous, ridiculous reasons. Uh, and, and, then when you find out about them, they try to keep the information, keep the videos. Then when you get the videos and you try to broadcast them, then the institutional media and other uh, aspects of society say, no, you can't put it up. So you tried to put up a poster in Maryland near National Institutes of Health headquarters where they, you know, that's the one of the big agencies that tortures so many animals. And they tried to stop you. You won. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we use uh, internally, and I guess externally, whenever we, when we used to give presentations and the world was open, uh, we describe our work with the acronym FED, uh, find, expose, and defund. Um, that's, kind of, that, that's the way we work. We're, we're searching databases, we're, we're reading academic papers, we're doing Freedom of Information Act requests, lawsuits when necessary, uh, to find where this abuse and the waste is taking place. And then we expose it uh, right here on shows like yours, uh, in the mainstream media, on social media, uh, to Congress. And then we defund, which is the part, the policy work we do, which is working to create more accountability about how tax dollars are spent uh, and actually target some of these programs just to restrict or cut the money. Um, but like you were set, you were asking, one of the ways we do this is through advertisements uh, publicly that let folks know how their money is being spent. And earlier this year, we exposed that the NIH was spending money uh, on millions of dollars each year on experiments on animals in foreign countries. Uh, and one of the places we were focused on at the time was uh, the United Kingdom, which obviously doesn't need our money to begin with, but the United Kingdom where uh, laboratories are with our tax, U.S. tax dollars are addicting monkeys to heroin. Um, they are addicting zebrafish to nicotine, all kinds of ridiculous nonsense. And we attempted to run bus ads uh, on bus lines that service the NIH headquarters uh, in Maryland, right outside of DC. Uh, the bus company rejected us, saying that the ads exposing these junkie monkey experiments would actually, uh, ridiculously, their, their claim was that they'd encourage kids to smoke, which made no sense. And eventually they backed down uh, and had to run the ads. And actually the same agencies a year before were trying to re refuse our ads to expose the kitten slaughterhouse at the USDA where they were doing those kitten cannibalism experiments. Uh, we won that lawsuit as well. Um, but not only do these ads let members of the public know what's going on and certainly put some pressure on the agencies, but they actually do often lead to whistleblowers coming forward with new information. And if, this is actually how we first exposed, one of our first big campaigns was exposing dog testing at the Department of Veterans Affairs down in Richmond where they were, uh, there's still some experimentation on dogs happening there. We're trying to get completely shut down, but we've ended a lot of the projects, uh, including one where they were injecting latex into six month old puppies uh, arteries to give them heart attacks and then force them to run on treadmills. Uh. Uh, so this was the beginning of the campaign. We, and we put advertisements. Uh, we tried to run ads on buses in Richmond and actually we're still involved in a lawsuit against the city of Richmond bus, the transit company. Uh, it's been almost four years now. Um, because they refused to run our ads. And we actually won a lower court ruling telling them to run the ads, but it's been appealed. So that's still in court. 
Uh, but uh, in Richmond, so we couldn't run the ads on buses. The city of Richmond said, no, we're not going to let you criticize the VA on the buses, which they have to because it's public space. It's a First Amendment right we have. They were in court now. But we found that there was another ad company that would let us put ads on the top of gas pumps. So, you know, when you're pumping your gas and you look up and you see there's a digital screen or an advertisement yeah. at the top of the pump. So we had ads exposing the VA's uh, dog testing and basically saying, hey, around the corner at the Richmond VA, there's a basement full of dogs being tortured. An Army veteran named Todd Wiesner was pumping his gas there one day on his way to work at the VA. And he saw the ad, dog lover, he has a beagle of his own. And uh, he went to work, and a few days later, he got, he's an electrician. Again, Army veteran, works at the VA, electrician. He got called to do a job in the basement, uh, an electric, electrical job in the basement of the building he worked in. And he goes down to the basement, and it's lined with cages full of dogs, uh, chain-link chain chain uh, cages full of dogs who had lacer massive wounds on them. Big, long lacerations all sewn up because these dogs had undergone surgery to either induce heart failure uh, artificial, uh, artificially induce, um, heart arrhythmia, other, other horrible. Uh, and what did ailments. he do? He took some pictures and he sent them to us and he sent some photos to a local reporter in Richmond. And that kind of broke the whole thing right open. Uh, a great reporter. Yeah. He's amazing. He had, he had this little, I think it was might've even been a flip phone. He took it out. He took some photos, sent them to us, sent them to the media. And within days, this is just the power of transparency. Within days, we had the Republican member of Congress who represents that district at the time, Dave Bratt, a Tea Party member, no animal rights activist by any means, mm -hmm. um, came out. He sat down with Todd. He heard what he had to say. He looked at the pictures and soon after worked with us to introduce a bill to cut all the funding for the VA's dog testing. Just I as a result of yeah, That's an incredible story. I want to go to a caller. I believe we have Danny on hold. Danny, your question or thought? Hi, thank you. I, I just have a question. How can I personally contact, like, what can I do as an activist that I'm, it's just home to help with this? Yeah, no, we'd love, we'd love your support. So if you went to whitecoatwaste.org, you can see what campaigns we're running now. But a couple of our uh, specific campaigns that you can get involved in very easily by writing Congress. So we have a bunch of uh, pages on our website where you can send a letter directly to Congress. And I can tell you, you sign a lot of things online. You don't know where the hell that your signature ends up. If you're just added to a mailing list or whatever the case is, every signature that comes in the door to white coat on the petitions, I'll, I'll give you the, the sites for right now. Those letters are going directly to the congressional offices, which we then call to make sure they receive it. Whitecoatwaste.org. Whitecoatwaste.org is our website. Yes. But if you go to uh, cats act, C-A-T-S, cats like the animal, catsact.org. That's our website where you can write Congress and tell them you want to pass the bill to cut funding for the VA's cat testing. Uh, and another campaign I'll we'll talk about in a few minutes, cutfdaredtape.org, is also related to ending dog testing. And these are places where you'll sign up, you'll get added to our mailing list, and you will immediately send these letters directly into Congress. Um, and then when you if you decide to follow us on social media, which is just White Coat Waste, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, we have all manner of other petitions and stuff you can sign uh, where we're collecting signatures constantly and bringing them to Capitol Hill. If you go to whitecoatwaste.org, you can find all those other things. Yes. yes. So that's, I think, if, if there's we'll one send people, yeah. remember, yeah, yeah. whitecoatwaste.org, Danny, and everybody else watching. And we know that these letters have an impact. 
they listen to them because their whole calculation is, oh, I want to get reelected. <laughs> and if people are saying you, you've got to do this, uh, it, we don't want to spend, we don't want to waste our tax dollars. I mean, there's people who are hungry in America right now. There are people losing their homes and they're spending tens of millions of dollars giving cats constipation by sticking fake poop up their butts. It's beyond comprehension. It's beyond comprehension. It has to stop. And um, the way it's going to stop is, is when the members of Congress, uh, both houses, realize uh, the tide has turned. Public opinion has turned against this. Okay. Uh, we saw it here in California with the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act, which passed and I work with another organization, Social Compassionate Legislation. And uh, the uh, a lot of the companies um, really wanted to get ahead of the bill. They wanted, you know, here's the thing is that the private companies are not really that excited about testing on animals. It's expensive. They'd rather skip it. What happens is that the U.S. government requires them to. Can you address that a little bit? Yeah, and it actually ties into one of our newest campaigns. So if you look at research, Outside of the government, over the past several decades, uh, private companies, whether you're talking about cosmetics companies or pharmaceutical companies, have really dramatically invested in and widely embraced alternatives to animal testing for the exact same reason you just said, Jane. You know, university experimenters, people who are getting money from the government generally, their livelihoods are tied to torturing animals in labs. They build careers on it. They go to conferences and talk about it. They publish their papers. That's their expertise. That's not the same with companies. Companies' job is to, if they're a public company, get products to market quickly and as cheaply as possible and make money for their shareholders. And if they don't care about animal testing, if they have to do animal testing to get their product approved by the government, they will, but they don't want to. And actually, we are working with a company right now uh, called Vanda Pharmaceuticals, who <clears throat> was developing a drug to treat a stomach disorder. Uh, and this drug, they had done some limited animal testing that the FDA wanted them to do. They went into human clinical trials uh, and they were in pretty large scale human trials. Everything was going fine. The FDA came back and said, hey, we want you to do more testing on dogs. And the company's like, we already did some animal testing that you asked us for. We're already in human trials. What the hell do we need to do dog testing for? And the FDA never had a good explanation. They just kept demanding it. And basically what happened is there were sick people taking this effective drug in a clinical trial. They were forced to stop taking the drug. And now it turns out that that drug is showing a lot of promise to treat COVID-related pneumonia. And that drug would have been available already if it hadn't been for the FDA trying to force this company to torture dogs. Mm -hmm. And the silver lining of what we're seeing with some of the COVID drugs is that the FDA because of the urgency of treating COVID and finding cures and treatments for it, because of the urgency, the FDA has allowed a little more flexibility in this area. So if you look at the two big uh, vaccines that are now being distributed, the one developed by Moderna uh, and the one developed by Pfizer, both of these companies, the FDA allowed them to go right into human trials without first completing animal testing. There was some animal testing done after the human trials started already but both of these companies were able to develop safe and effective vaccines for COVID in a couple days and then get them quickly into human trials without having to go through animal testing, which is very slow. It would have taken years. It's very expensive and it's very misleading. And it's very possible that had we 
force, had the FDA force them to do animal testing first, drugs that would have worked in humans might have been rejected because they didn't work in animals. And we see that time and again, 95% of the drugs that pass the animal test fail in humans, which leads to billions of wasted dollars. Lots of drugs are being thrown out because they don't work in animals and they might actually work in people. So lots of false positives, lots of false negatives. And in a situation like COVID, you don't have the time for that. So what we're doing is we're working with Congress right now uh, on a bill called the Alternatives to Animals for Regulatory Fairness Act, ARF. Uh, and what this bill does is it codifies in law that drug companies are allowed to use alternatives to animal testing whenever possible. Because right now the FDA is forcing companies to do tests on dogs, thousands of dogs each year, puppies as young as, young as a week old. The FDA forces drug companies to poison with experimental drugs, inject it in their eyes, force them to you know, uh -huh. put those masks on, force them to inhale them for up to a year at a time. And it's complete waste. It's a complete waste of animals' lives. It's a complete, complete waste of time, a complete waste of money. Um, so we've launched our Cut FDA Red Tape campaign. CutFDARedTape.org is the website on that, where you can support this legislation to make the FDA accept alternatives to animal testing. And we were able to get language in the FDA's uh, funding bill that passed a few weeks ago, uh, directing it to give a report to Congress on exactly what companies need to do to avoid animal testing. Because like you said, companies want to avoid animal testing. They're using alternatives very aggressively internally. Um, they want to reduce the animal testing mandates uh, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, so actually the pharmaceutical company is spending way more money than it ever has on research and development and way less money than it ever has on animal testing. Um, well, that's incredible. And you know, Look, we're in the 21st century. Uh, the processes that, that involve animals are truly medieval. They're medieval. They're like the stocks or, you know, uh, things that you see in a medieval torture musician, uh, mu museum when you go on uh, a tour of Europe. And um, right now we have the ability to see on the molecular and the submolecular level and look at actual genes and DNA. How do you think they're, they're we've all seen that COVID, um, that bright colored COVID. Virus, that's not yeah. something that you pick up. That's, that's an invisible to the human eye, which is one of the reasons why it's so contagious. And so why are we even doing this? I, I don't understand why science, which hopefully seeks to modernize, you know, we're in an era where we're getting into electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, robotics, um, all sorts of the cloud computing. I mean, the, technolo the technological advances are accelerating at such a rapid pace. And the same thing should be happening in the scientific medical community. What? I, I don't understand. I, I really don't understand this backward mentality when there are chips, there are organ chips that allow you to test something on the equivalent of a human, but it's in a chip. Maybe you could explain that technology a little bit so we could understand. And my dog is agreeing 100%. Of course, I bet. <laughs> They're our biggest advocates. So, yeah, I mean, the technology you're talking about is <clears throat> what's called uh, microfluidics or you know, we, what we call in more common parlance, organs on a chip. And these are like exactly what you, just, what you just described, Jane, miniature human organs the size of a thumb or a thumb drive. Um, and they use human cells and tissues that are obviously ethically sourced to build miniature human organs, like a lung or a liver, that can, they can model diseases in it, like COVID, and also then test drugs 
to treat those diseases. And when they do these comparative studies looking at um, how drugs work in organs on a chip, chip versus actual humans versus how animal tests work versus real humans, they find repeatedly that organs on a chip are more reliable at predicting how a drug is going to respond in an actual person, obviously, than poisoning a dog or a monkey or a rat or a mouse. So wait, um, why is it? I have to jump in. So why isn't that <clears throat> game over? The prosecution rests your honor. Organs on a chip work better and um, it's smarter. It costs less money. It will allow the advancement of m- medicine, science more rapidly. Why isn't that just game over for animal testing? Well, there's a few reasons. One is institutional inertia is that these federal agencies that are both funding and mandating animal testing are comfortable with animal testing. They've been doing it for decades. That's what they're comfortable looking at. And it takes work. Listen, they're going to have to bring in new experts who know this technology well and who can give them faith that it's going to do what they say it's going to do. Now, the problem is, is that policy hasn't kept up with innovation in the scientific community, right? So you do have all these great technologies and we should have been preparing years ago for their acceptance to fulfill all these different regulations. Um, But we haven't. So now we're kind of playing catch up, which is why we're trying to force the hand of the government to more aggressively uh, review and approve the use of this technology. The other thing is that it's a big business. When we're talking about $20 billion, again, that's billion with a B, that's a lot of money. That money isn't just going to the experimenters. So certainly it's going to the experimenters who may built their careers on this. They pay their mortgage. This is how they make their livelihood is torturing animals. Universities are taking 30% off the top of every grant just for administrative fees. So they have an incentive in keeping it going and they lobby Congress to, to continue to perpetuate the funding of these projects. Now, And let me jump in to say that that's why white coat waste is so important, because you are the alternate voice to those lobbyists from the universities. I I know that universities are right after government, some of the biggest uh, abusers of animals. And I have covered innumerable marches at UCLA uh, where um, all sorts of animal rights organizations get together and march and yeah. go to the actual building where these animals are being tortured and, and chant and demonstrate. And so, yes, it's follow the money. Like everything else, when it comes to animal exploitation, follow the money. And by the way, we invite any university uh, or government agency representative on any time. We'd love to dialogue with you and ask you why you're still doing these medieval experiments. So continue on. But 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 my point is white coat waste is in there offering a counter narrative, because if the members of Congress only hear that story, that old story, we got to spend these billions uh, torturing monkeys and torturing rats and blah, blah, blah. Their scam is that they they say something that's bad, like heroin addiction is obviously bad. And I speak as a recovering alcoholic with more than 25 years of sobriety. Not what I'll be 26 years in April. Thank you. And I also quit smoking over the years. So we all know that uh, abuse of alcohol, smoking, drugs is bad. So they take something that's really bad and they say, hey, give us, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars and we're going to fight this. And then they proceed to torture animals and they don't get anywhere. Well, guess what? I could tell you as somebody who's in recovery, torturing a monkey did not help me get sober. 
Okay. I got sober because I hit bottom, making a fool of myself at a party in Hollywood. I had a moment of clarity. I saw myself objectively and I got some help, period. It's a spiritual malady with a spiritual solution, a psychological malady with a psychological solution. And it does also have a genetic component. You are uh, more likely, if you have a history of alcoholism in your family, to, to, uh, to experience alcoholism. But it has nothing to do with monkeys. Okay? It has nothing to do with monkeys. And this idea that you can torture monkeys or dogs and get people to quit smoking or quit shooting up heroin is just, it's absurd on its face. It's absurd on its face. There's, you know, the programs, and there's some, quite a few out there that help people get sober. It's, it's an inside job. That's what happens. There's no magic pill that says you're going to wake up and stop trying to push down whatever it is you don't want to look at or escape from whatever it is that you're not wanting to experience feelings, right? The first thing I learned when I got sober is sit through the feelings. They don't last forever, you know? It's all about escaping, so how does torturing monkeys deal with any of that? It doesn't. This is why I get so enraged when they take these legitimate problems and they say, we're going to torture animals to solve them. And then 30 years later or whatever, they still haven't solved them uh, because that's not the way to get them solved. We have to stop this. Go ahead, yeah. though. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that was, that was perfect. I mean, first of all, what you just, everything you just said speaks to, the, to why it's nonsense particularly in the, in the realm of addiction, to try to quote-unquote model addiction in non-human animals or human addiction the way, the way it a, a plagues human beings because the forces that are driving addiction in humans, part of it's genetic, part of it's societal, um, those factors don't exist in the animal world. You know, the, yeah. there's so many things Monkeys that... Monkeys didn't have parents who had cocktail parties where <laughs> the kids could run around drinking the ends of the martini glasses. That's what I did. So how is my experience going to uh, be replicated by a monkey who's been uh, torn from the wild and put in a lab? Yeah, and it's the same across the board uh, with any human disease or any human ailment is when you're doing it, when you're trying to, tr you know, create that in animals, it's artificial. You're, you know, diseases that we're, you know, we're more modeling, quote unquote, modeling diseases in animals. Those are artificially induced versions of a human disease. So it's the wrong species. It didn't occur naturally. So it's, you're just, you know, it's acute. It's it, the, the whole, the disease progression is different. The species is wrong for on every account. It doesn't make sense. But the good thing is, especially now where, you know, we've just entered 2021. Most people, I think have a sense that, as you say, animal experimentation is so archaic, it's, that, it's, a, it's, a, it's thousands of years old. I mean, you know, people started experimenting on animals thousands of years ago before when we knew nothing about human biology and disease, when there was really no other way and people didn't know what to do, they, they were cutting open animals. Obviously, it's not the case anymore. But I think most people realize they look at technology, they look at the fact that they carry basically one of the strong, you know, probably the most powerful computer they ever interacted with, they carry in their pocket and you can have a video phone call, all these futuristic things that's 20 years ago seemed like they'd never happen. Or when I was a kid of having a, a phone in the pocket that you could talk in video to someone across the world seemed outrageous to me um, and futuristic, but we're there now we're in the future. There's better technology, all that, you know, everything we're doing is so high tech that to say the best way we have to fight disease is to take dogs and monkeys and lock them in a lab and make them sick and then kill them. 
just seems idiotic to people. Um, and that's so not only we have better technology than ever to replace animal testing, we have more people than ever opposing animal testing, and we have better evidence than ever that it simply doesn't work. You know, the experimenters, oh, we just need another year. We just need another million dollars. We just need a few more years. We're going to get there. We'll get you the cure we need. It's, they never get there. The goalpost is constantly moving. And it's because they want the money to keep flowing. If you were experimenting on monkeys to cure a disease and that was your livelihood, why the hell would you want to stop? The second well, you cure the disease, you're out of a job. So well, there's I, I asked the question, how do they sleep at night? How do they sleep at night? But it's well, just- if you listen, it's, 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 it's people aren't born and don't grow up thinking I'm going to give mice cancer and decapitate them for a living. You know, that's not anything anyone dreams to do unless you're a psychopath. Um, it's, it's something you're socialized to do. And the culture of science over the years has done that. It forces kids to dissect. Then they get to college and they do some classroom animal experiments and they get to medical school and they say, okay, well, you know, to make your stipend, if you want to be in medical school, you're going to have to work in the animal lab on the weekend and feed the mice or clean the cages. And by the time you're ready for a career with your PhD, you've spent so many years being involved with or around the abuse of animals that it just become you become desensitized to it. Um, so it is, I mean, people are socialized, young scientists are socialized into this world to become comfortable with something that they wouldn't be other with otherwise. And that's why it is going to be a generational shift where you have young people now who look at animal testing, like you say, as something so archaic and unnecessary that when they go into their careers in science, they're going to work with people who are doing things that are more effective and humane and cutting edge. And but, they uh, let me ask you, because we only have a couple of minutes. Yeah. People obviously know about organs on a chip. I'm not yeah. a scientist or a yeah, doctor. Sure. I know about yeah. organs on a chip. I mean, wouldn't logic tell you, like, is there a new generation coming up now in medical schools and in scientific uh, universities where they say, no, I I don't buy this. Why don't we do it this way? Challenging this this sort of archaic authority. There is. I mean, and you see, listen, I know a lot of younger scientists and grad students who are specifically seeking out these opportunities to, you know, work in science without the use of animals, creating centers at their universities, um, trying to find other young scientists they can network with. Um, but the problem is, is even now, the NIH is hesitant to fund those type of projects because they're so comfortable with animal testing and throwing money at animal testing that they're, they are hesitant to give money to these other, you know, more humane uh, methodologies and to develop and test them. Um, but well, luckily, the, you know, the private money is going to find a lot of institutes of health, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, some of the top people, they're animal experimenters themselves. Yes, they are. And they all talk out of both sides of their mouths. You know, on one hand, they say, yes, we acknowledge animal testing doesn't work very well. It's an incredibly wasteful. It forces patients to wait for therapies that they're never going to get otherwise. Um, and then on the other hand, they're defending animal testing up and down. Even Francis Collins, the director of the NIH, who helped end chimp testing, as soon as that happened, he said, I promise you, I'm never going to end any other experiments on monkeys. This, these, this decision on chimps is chimps only and not other primates. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there is, it, you know, there's a very big institutional buy-in. Uh, let, let me uh, jump in because we only have like two minutes. Is there reason for hope with the COVID vaccine? I've heard 
you know, horror stories that monkeys are being ripped from the wild everywhere because they need more monkeys and they're shipping them in. Then I've also heard what you've said, the vaccines were developed uh, without the usual uh, delay of animal testing because it's a crisis and we need to get them out. What's, what's the picture there? I think that this, as long as these vaccines rem- uh, remain safe and effective and that people don't develop any adverse reactions after, you know, some period of time that we haven't had yet, <laughs> you know, that hasn't been injected into that many people yet. And, and we haven't been able to look six months or a year down the road. Um, it's going to give regulators and Congress the faith they need to move forward with more aggressive plans to allow companies to do this as a matter of course, to avoid animal testing. And the fact that I think the head of the secretary of health and human services, Alex Azar, and Francis Collins both got injected with the Moderna vaccine that was, again, bypassed a lot of animal testing. Um, that shows they have faith in this new paradigm, which minimizes animal use and maximizes these new technologies that are more efficient and effective and obviously more humane. Um, so I think this could be a, a, a real turning point uh, for the issue uh, now that we know that the FDA and the NIH and the leadership of the country has bought in to this new approach. Uh, we just have to get it standardized across the board now. Now, uh, again, White Coat Waste Project works in the nation's capital, completely bipartisan. The one thing that in this very divided nation now that people can agree on, uh, most Americans love animals. They don't want to torture them. And that if when they see these horrific experiments, they're against them and they want to end them. So you're a very small organization. Uh, what I think is incredible is that you're very strategic. Can you give us, you know, the final pitch on why people need to really support white coat waste? Yeah, thanks, Jane. Uh, and thanks for all the kind words. And again, for the opportunity to be on today. We are a small organization in terms of our uh, staff. We have eight full-time staffers. We have three million members across the country. And those are really the people who are making this work possible. The people calling Congress, writing Congress, lighting up their phones, making sure this is high on the priorities to the list and the radar of legislators. Um, so again, the federal government funds two thirds of all animal testing in the US. So buying cruelty free, there's a lot of good ways to fight animal testing, but in terms of taking the biggest bite out of the problem, it's most likely all the horrible experiments you're hearing about at your local college and university is funded by the NIH. And by the time the money gets there and those experiments started and you're hearing about them, it's really too late sometimes to stop them. So what we're doing is working with the government, working with Congress to make sure that money doesn't get there in the first place and it doesn't get renewed and that people can't buy these animals to torture them at all to begin with. Um, so we're going really after the root of the problem, cutting the money off before it starts, making sure influential people in the government are aware of the problem and can, you know, take action to help, uh, whether it's passing legislation or changing policies inside federal agencies. Um, so yes, please visit whitecoatwaste.org, join our mailing list, get, start following us on social media. We have constant opportunities for people to take action on these different campaigns. We work and we've talked a lot about, you know, dogs, cats, and monkeys on this on the call, but we work on efforts related to mice, rats, rabbits, you know, nicotine addicted fish. I mean, we really advocate, we're working against all of it all the time. Uh, and we'd be grateful, you know, for any new support that people want to give us financially otherwise. Thank you. Yes. Help white coat waste. Give <laughs> them money you. and also go in there to whitecoatwaste.org and, and sign those letters. It's so effective. Thank you for all you do. What an Thank incredible you. organization, whitecoatwaste.org. Talk soon. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. Thank you.